My name is Rachel White, and people call me the Skeptical Shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal heavy people. Searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole. All while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody. The curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Skeptical Shaman Podcast. I'm your perpetually joy-giving, buoyant, optimistic host, Rachel White of Totem Readings. That's I'm known for my modesty as well. I'd like to just add that at the beginning. I am joined today by someone that I've admired for a long time, Gina Graham. Gina is a bit of a Renaissance woman, but all with a focus on a particular area of interest for me and I think for everyone, which is not just what I would call body positivity, and I think you'll talk about that a little bit, but frankly, beauty and really redefining that in meaningful ways so that people are embracing the concept of it, the concept of it in their own health and in every area of your life. So Gina, why don't you tell everyone about what you do a little bit and what your focus is with your your practice? Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. First of all, I'm really excited to be here and connect with you again. I always love to see you. Yeah. So I have been a clinical social worker in the field of treating primarily eating disorders, but also women's issues, women's mental health, such as depression, anxiety, life transitions. For over 20 years, I actually started out over 20 years ago on an intensive outpatient unit, specifically treating eating disorders, and then pretty quickly moved into private practice world where I could, you know, kind of manage my own practice and, you know, kind of set up shop and and sort of, you know, do things the way that felt really true to the type of work that I wanted to do. So that's kind of been my bread and butter as a licensed clinical social worker for over 20 years. But I kind of came late to the game of realizing that I had like all kinds of latent creating creative energy and potential as I believe we all do. And so when I was a, a young mom with two toddlers at home, I sort of dove into reteaching myself some photography. And, you know, that kind of took off initially as a little bit of a side hustle. And then in recent years have kind of dovetailed to put the two together where I've come up with sort of you know, a pretty unique perspective of sometimes using portrait photography in my therapy sessions to help people work with body image issues, self-acceptance issues, you know, just really anything that can kind of help them see themselves through my lens a little bit and process that in therapy. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll just, you know, give a, a brief nod to the fact that I recently published a book that's actually kind of a culmination of all the work that I've done up to this point in my life. And by and- the way, it's beautiful. And I do own it. I just don't know where it is in my house because I'm reorganizing. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Yeah, that, that means a lot. And the book is actually called Body Beautiful. And I have a feeling 
um, that we're going to talk a lot about that word. So that even means a lot to me that you said that because the goal was for it to be, you know, sort of hopefully seen as a bit of a work of art, um, just because that's kind of how I think we all collectively sort of are when you put us all together. So yeah. 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 It's interesting because there's so many parallels with what you do, not on a professional level. I just mean in terms of where the middle road is with things. So with spiritual work, particularly in like the coaching space, mm-hmm. I, I've i noticed there's one of two sort of extreme paths seem to dominate the field. And one of them is stoking high neuroticism uh-huh. and self-loathing and really focusing on shortcomings under the guise of human potential, the human potential movement and saying, you know, you got to sharp these weaknesses. You got to do that. You're not doing this right. Like high accountability, stressful right. And then the other side is the toxic positivity, spiritual bypassing, Sure, which is just like, whatever you do is fine. No matter what you do, you're perfect. And this sort of bizarre fairy tale land. And there's nobody in the middle going like, hang on, there's a, there's a way to be balanced about this. And by the way, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a harder sell because mm-hmm. people are like, well, what about that and that? And there's something in our brains that love, loves the finiteness right. of like definite mutual exclusive binary systems like either you're a zero or you're a one and nothing in between and it's just not how anything works and with beauty you know you and i've talked about this a little or just even things like self-esteem with regard to the body you know Mm -hmm. self-acceptance all that good stuff i find you know social media we'll get into how toxic that is i'm sure but Mm -hmm. it it does the same thing of either you're perfect the way you are even if you're ill like right. literally ill, you have hormone imbalances, all these issues, or there's no such thing as skinny enough, the orthorexic perpetual juice cleanse. You know, I told you my feed is full of poop pills, hormone pills. Right. Are you bloated? Are you breaking out? I'm like, you know, you you buy one herb on the internet and you're caught in this loop now, this web sort of. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how your your practice is focused on self-acceptance, but also like we can do things. We can constructively put one foot in front of the other. If there's something you're not happy with, if you're unwell, we can like, we can advance. There's nothing taboo about saying that. Sure. Sure. I think, you know, what is interesting when you look at um, how you kind of talk about sort of putting things in these binary categories. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think are really interesting from a psychology mental health perspective that really stem from like deep hardwired survival instincts in the brain, right? So, you know, if we are to kind of get in our time machine machine and go all the way back to when we were living in caves or in tribes, you know, it was so much more um, integral to our uh, to our survival instincts to sort of need to figure out like where we fit in society and sort of operate in a certain way. And what I think is really interesting now is the ways that we're all kind of struggling to kind of integrate modern life, modern technology, you know, most of us are not necessarily in a situation where our constant day to day navigation of the world is through the lens of survival, but our brains like didn't get that memo and haven't caught up. Right. So there's a lot of ways we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. And I think what's interesting right now is that we're in this time where there's an incredible amount of information, like at unprecedented level. 
there's an incredible amount of visual stimuli that we're all seeing that's projecting certain images or ideals or, you know, kind of expectations imprinting onto our brains all day long as we're going through the world. And we're also living in a time where things for a lot of people feel pretty kind of scary and crazy and out of control. So, you know, from my perspective, it's really interesting to look at where does like our anxiety management strategies intersect with where our brains are hardwired for survival, intersect with the bombardment of social media and all of the stuff that is just like flooding our eyeballs and our brains all the time, intersect with like this question of, how do we actually live in the world in an integrated, meaningful, intentional way? And so I kind of see my work as hopefully trying to straddle all of those things. You know, it's a little bit about body image. It's a little bit about, you know, this idea of, you know, health and wellness, but in an intentional way that's not rooted in perfectionism or some of the garbage that we kind of get all of us flooded that actually can make people sicker or feel worse. Right. And so it's really the intersection of all of those things. And then I know we keep kind of circling back to this word beauty. And, you know, it's really interesting too, because there is something at the core of my work that I think just centers on my personal belief that the, the the pursuit and living in the world in search of and trying to embody and thinking about beauty, I think is actually like a, a deep part of a spiritual practice, right? And it, so it, it is. It, it's the I, thing that separates us from the beasts in the field, as Larry yeah. David would say. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like that word has just gotten so hijacked by consumer culture. And I love mm-hmm. that, like, right at the beginning, you set us up for this conversation to say, like, we do need to reclaim that. I say that all the time. Like, we need to reclaim what that word actually means and start to experience it in a way that, you know, hopefully helps us feel a little more connected. Yeah. And so, your work with beauty, you know, clinically, right? For want of a better way of putting it. And also through your photography and your book, to me is about real beauty. And, you know, I was born in the 1980s, which makes me very old, the early (laughs) 90s, the aughts. Before then. (laughs) Yes. Well, but you and I had the gift of growing up with what I would call real and interesting beauty, like the 90s culturally. Yeah. People haven't lived through it. Please look into it because it was sort of peak culture. And I'm not just saying that because I lived through it. Because musically... I was forever a Depeche Mode girl, and that's not the 90s, right? But this idea of it doesn't have to be perfect, the the Annie Leibovitz school of like photography where people were themselves, but there was a beauty in them being themselves, in the imperfections. Like we still liked interesting looking people. We still, not everybody was in this hyper, hyper simulacra simulation, filters and cosmetic surgery, this, this intense perfectionism right yeah that there's sort of an uncanny valley thing to it like when your eye meets it you go "Mm, that's not real or when you meet someone you're like there's no way this happened in a healthy way kind of a thing like this there's some something not real about it and you are taking market share from the simulacra which is something i want more people doing instead of saying and if the word beauty touches it i don't want to have anything to do with it now that's a radioactive concept taking it back and making it actually what it is, like reinstating it to its former greatness. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting when you talk about, 
you know, sort of this like layer of perfectionism. I think, yes. And I, and I think when you look at sort of the timeline, you know, with the rise of technology, we've seen sort of this like really weird, like veil or veneer or like sheen over everything that is steeped in perfectionism and also just like lacking in some form of like truth and humanity. Right. Meaning, you know, when we look at, you know, just so much of what we see across all industries, right, it can be like digital media in terms of like what we see in advertising or the beauty industry or the fashion industry. But it can also be, you know, with you referencing like, you know, the coaching industry or, you know, even in looking at mental health, there's kind of this expectation. It's like I do agree with you. There's something intuitive where we kind of start to like get a little bit of that like ick factor about it but at the same time especially if we're kind of going through the world pretty disconnected from our intuition or our own thoughts our own beliefs and our own core values which I think unfortunately a lot of us very easily can fall into that trap right like the pace of life how the phones are an extension of you know, are even just getting up and facing the day. I mean, I know it is for me, right? And so the more disconnected we get, the less we're able to like really resonate with that ick factor and then step back and discern, wait a minute, what am I really seeing here? How do I really feel about this? And so instead we get inundated with expectation and perfectionism and people not necessarily telling the truth of something or allowing something to be true. And then we're constantly holding ourselves up against those benchmarks, whether it's how someone looks, how someone's business is running, you know, how someone's marriage looks, how someone's kids or family looks. And then we're always left holding this bag of I am less than. I'm not nailing it. I'm doing something wrong. And then we spiral into depression, anxiety, or just if nothing else, constantly chasing after that false quick fix that we're literally being sold, that is going to be the solution to our problem. I remember sales training in corporate America. And that's the other sort of one of those gifts of my background. And if Mm -hmm. people think I'm exaggerating, I'm, I'm not. This is a real thing. Other people will totally back me up on this. In corporate sales training, there's a specific methodology called solution selling. Mm-hmm. Where you cr- you poke at latent pain, sure, in your pr- prospective buyer, your buyer persona, sort of archetype. So let's say we're going after thirty to fifty year old women mm-hmm. in America, right? Mm-hmm. That's who we want to sell to. What pain can we poke? And then creating a sense of urgency. Yeah, like if you don't address this now, it just gets worse. Or do you know if you don't do this, no one's going to marry you, or whatever that is. Yep. And then you—that's how you close like an old school sales deal. So when I look around at social media, or frankly, some of the tactics of like, you know, nutrition coaches, health coaches, spiritual coaches, it's all kind of the same. The, yeah. the problems are all the same. I'm like, oh, they're doing shit people learned from, you know, literally the Wolf of Wall Street. That guy taught sales trainings in the 80s and 90s. It's right, right, nothing right. new. And it's cynical. There's something more um, blasphemous about it in this space mm-hmm. with what you and I do than in corporate. Like in corporate, it's kind of like, all right, go be demons. I get it. You're upfront yeah. about what you're doing. Right. When you shop for Nike, you kind of know who you're dancing with. In this space, though, the false virtue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or in your case, I've seen quite a few like, uh, you know, health wellness influencers who do the faux uh, pain. Right. Thing. Right. They're, they're suffering and they're whatever. And the term I've recently learned this in the last year is called covert narcissism. Right, right, right. And you see that with spiritual gurus too. And they're like, listen, you know, I went through this and I overcame it. Their family's like, what? Not None of that shit happened. Because guess what? There's no truth police on social media. There really isn't. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's and, wild. And I think, you know, unfortunately, two people have kind of started to see like vulnerability and truth and <clears throat> acknowledging maybe a difficult time in your life through the lens of commoditizing that as well. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, so vulnerable. super cynical. Yeah. So vulnerability has become a bit of a buzzword. And I, I do think that people <clears throat> really are you know, are, are more likely to resonate with something that seems real. Because again, going back to this idea of like, you know, what's really at the heart of our humanity, it's not that's like perfectionism. It's not that like, everything is always up and to the right, you know, you know, success happening after success happening after success. We know this in the deepest part of our psyche is that like, the humanity of it all is kind of a mess, right? It's like a mixed bag of yeah, there's some joy, there's some pain, there's some beauty, there's some things that we wish weren't there. There is some hardship. And then there's some times where, you know, we're really in flow, or we get lucky and things are really hitting. And so, you know, when we kind of see almost across all industries, across all spectrums, this idea that like, you know, we're the product, and we're all being sold some narrative, you know, that's going to be the solution to whatever our problem is, whether it's we think we need to lose weight, our businesses need to be more successful, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, it, it, it does a couple of things, you know, it sets us up for unrealistic expectation, it sets us up to constantly be measuring ourselves against perfectionism, which isn't human. And it, you know, really has us all feeling kind of down when we fall short, which we inevitably will because it's not rooted in anything real, you know, so. Yeah. And yeah. the amazing thing about those quote products is there's no returning them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what it's the same dynamic you see with spiritual cults. Right. Which is if it didn't work for you, it's because you didn't do it right. Right. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. And, and the onus is always on the individual to internalize that and take accountability for something that was, by the way, never designed to work. Sure. And that's what yeah. really breaks my heart about so many, particularly women who come through my practice, having, you know, just like been so wounded by the diet industry, right? It's like the personal shame and failure when the whole thing was set up to fail to begin with, you know, statistically, you don't need, you know, you don't even need to scratch the, sur the surface of, you know, dieting in general to just know that statistically all diets are likely to fail, resulting in, you know, the lost weight, you know, gained back and then some, you know, and so it's just, it's really heartbreaking when, you know, we're kind of feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to set out to solve this problem. And not only am I not solving the problem, but just coming away from a deep sense of like, shame or ineptitude because, you know, I feel like in some ways I failed and, you know, it was never really designed for us to, to kind of get the result we think we were, you know, going for anyway. So it's the same thing with spiritual experiences for people, you know, they get kind of maybe taken on a ride or they spend some money and it doesn't do what was promised. And so then they're like, well, the whole thing's BS. And it's like, no, there's a lot of good in that area. 
Right. It, you just got, you got bit. It yeah. happens to everybody. I mean, the woman at my shaman school, that's what I call it. So I don't call it by its real name, by the way, was like hitting me up for rent money. When I'm walking into a day long workshop and I paid her a thousand dollars for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you could go like, well, this, you could extrapolate and get crazy and go, well, this means all of shamanism is nonsense. So you can go, well, this particular individual is kind of full of it. And right. I'm going to navigate this the way I want to. Right. Sure. So to that end, when, and I know everybody's individual, trust me, especially with what you do and everybody's body image shit comes from individual places, events, dynamics, all of the above. But overall, like, what would you recommend for someone who just wants to build their intuition when navigating this landscape or someone who's, you know, because this will be around sort of New Year's, who's mm -hmm. thinking, I really want to transform myself physically, or this is the year, and there might be building tension and expectation around that. Sure. Just for them to maybe a couple of tips or tricks to bear in mind to sure. get ready and to use as they move forward. Yeah, I mean, I I love talking about all of the energy at New Year because I think it's really fascinating. And I'm someone who personally gets kind of energized with the thought of like, it's a new year and yeah. you know, thinking about goals and all of these things. And I think that sometimes in the space of eating disorder treatment and recovery, which again, is sort of like where my kind of, you know, teeth were cut working in, you know, this, this field is this idea that we have to completely step far away from anything in the wellness space, maybe even, you know, really looking at what it means to be a healthy individual and be in this kind of place of being all accepting all the time of whatever's happening in our body and whatever's happening with our weight and whatever our relationship to food is. And I've never really ascribed to that. You know, there's a, there's a really interesting um, treatment modality in the field of mental health called dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT as it's known. You know, it's funny in mental health work, I, I always joke that it's sort of like this alphabet soup of like DBT, yeah. DBT, EMDR, you know, there's all of these different things that we're doing. But DBT's, DBT is particularly interesting because it was developed by a woman who herself was struggling and then was trying to help people who were navigating um, real intense dis emotional dysregulation, right? So stemming from like deep trauma, you know, anything with post-traumatic stress or people who've been diagnosed maybe with more of like a personality disorder, certain personality disorders where they have real challenges in their interpersonal relationships or like regulating their emotions. Yeah, borderline personality disorder. Um, so there's this school of thought, DVT, which is kind of, I think it's a beautiful modality because it is so intuitive. And it really can absolutely be used to treat specific mental health things. But I think for any human walking around, it can be a really cool model to look into because it really talks a lot about, you know, like four distinct pieces, which, you know, just in summary are mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. So these are things that I think most people can say, yeah, I could do a little work on these areas in my yeah. life. Right? All of them, probably. What's cool about the dialectic in and of itself, think of like how a yin-yang is sort of situated, is it's a, sort of based on this idea that two opposing ideas or forces actually are acting together to create an overall balance. And so when I think about New Year's energy, what I think is really cool is I would 
encourage anyone to be asking the question of, are there things I could do a little bit differently to promote more energy, to create more longevity, to feel better in my body, and to really kind of counteract how modern culture is set up for us to be diseased or at in dis-ease, right? I, you know, I don't know anyone who would say they're like nailing the like health game in modern culture for a myriad of reasons, right? Yeah, it is yes. it's an uphill battle. Not yes. saying it's when you shouldn't fight, but it's absolutely. it's up. Yes. Absolutely. So there's kind of like within this dialectical model, sort of these two things happening at the same time, which is just this acceptance of what is, right? And then at the same time, an equal and opposing force of, but how could I do better? How can I grow? How can I move in a more positive direction? So it's not skewing either way on the extreme polar opposites of, well, why even try, right? Or like, I have to be perfect and the best of the best. And this is going to be the year that I, I lose all this weight and I did da, 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 and I finally get this body that by the way, like may or may not even genetically be possible for me. Right. right? So what's cool. And it may about- not even make you happy if you were to oh. get there. It That's could the other actually thing. make you sick, right? So there's, yeah. you know, the, the thing that I always, you know, like to talk about specifically with the book is it's very story driven. And, you know, I, I sort of did this, a lot of interviews with women and girls at all different ages to understand their experience of navigating body image, food, you know, our aesthetics, all of these cultural forces. And there's one woman in the book who's actually a health and fitness coach who talks about how like, she was getting the gold star at the gym. You know, she was being told like you have yeah. gone from this huge transformation from being an overeater who was a binge eater over emotions, you know, had a, a really unhealthy relationship to food in her body and then kind of transitioned to being like the most muscular, the most disciplined, you know, the fittest girl at the gym. She got rewarded and affirmed. Yes. And she did. But what started to really sink in for her was how sick she felt, right? Her body was in adrenal fatigue and she just felt awful. And so, you know, it's a great illustration of anything taken too far or out of balance is not necessarily going to serve you well. So what's cool about standing in this space of, okay, what are the things about my body that maybe I need to accept as I head into the new years? It might be acceptance of a certain genetic predisposition or body type. It could be acceptance of certain limitations in terms of movement or, you know, things that your body can do through physical fitness. It might even just be accepting like, hey, I have to let go of a picture in my mind of what this is going to look like and instead just focus on how my body feels because there is a reality that I'm always steering people towards, which is if you're focusing on how your body is feeling, it's going to be different than how it feels when you look in the mirror and compare what you think your body should be, what it actually looks like, right? So can there be a little bit of acceptance of this is not going to be a perfect journey. I'm maybe not going to get to my goal weight, whatever that is. But what are some important steps I can take because I will feel better in my body, I'll have more energy, and it will impact my wellness in a positive way. And the cool thing I think about looking at health and wellness is there's a million different places you can jump off from, right? You can look at it like, does my mental health need improvement? 
Do I yeah. need to get better sleep? Do I need to start with being better hydrated because I don't drink enough water during the day? Do I need to stop certain habits that maybe are setting me up for disease down the road, like smoking or drinking too much or any number of behaviors that we can fall into from an anxiety and stress management standpoint, right? So I think the kind of most obvious thing that we're all sold at, you know, the start of the year is the importance of losing weight and sort of the myths around, you know, like what that's going to do for us and our happiness and our health. Yeah. Um, and, but instead of really starting to think about, okay, what feels doable and leaning into that intuition, right? Because the int- I love talking about intuition and I think you and I could probably talk about that for hours because we've completely yeah. lost sight of what that even feels like. I don't think body. that's an accident. That's where it, I get a little conspiracy yeah. sounding, you know, yeah. just in time for the holidays, by the way, if you want to <laughs> light your family up and say a bunch of crazy shit. But, you know, have you heard of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind? No, uh, what, no, I don't know that it, book. It's well. brilliant. And it's all data around what social media has done. But particularly, by the way, for young females, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. starting at like prepubescent ages through college, maybe mid 20s, that that group, when social media hit that group, you want to talk about clinical things yeah. manifesting exponentially for the first time ever, a true explosion. And that's also the group considered by most consumer product companies to be their alpha leaders in terms of consumption. Mm-hmm. So if they can get young girls to think it's cool, they've right. won the market, right? Right. I don't think that's an accident. No, no. Yeah. And God forbid she has intuition because then she might say, I don't think so, or I don't like that, or I'm not going to... Intuition really is like a, if nothing else, very simple reductionist way of looking at it. it it's the thing that you listen to that leads you out of noise, right? Like there's, right. there's a signal happening and then there's noise and the ability to separate the two. Sure. Sure. And like, I mean, you know, so much of what I feel like I even would admit to struggling with and certainly in helping clients struggle with is just like stepping away from all of that noise. I, I think that's why I love, you know, that DBT incorporates so many components of mindfulness with it because, you know, when we look at anything that we're trying to modify in terms of behavior modification, whether it's not binge eating or not purging or not restricting or not smoking or not drinking too much or, you know, not giving into certain compulsions that help us navigate anxiety. So much of that requires us to be able to step back long enough and pause and build in space between you know, where we really are and whatever is triggering our emotions and then make a different choice. And I think we've just culturally and society, you know, from a societal standpoint, gotten so far away from our ability to do that, that we're just constantly going around tapping into like, you know, um, what we're hearing or what we're seeing or in just constantly in reactive mode. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, what's interesting about intuition is, you know, we kind of know in our bodies, like, you know, from a, from a body perspective in terms of like our movement or the foods that we're eating, like we, 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 if we can be quiet enough and listen, we kind of know like when we're hungry and when we're full or when we need to move, like where our bodies hurt, when we're enough, right? But we, we get so disconnected 
that sometimes, you know, or often people will come to me and say, I actually really don't know these things anymore. Right. Well, and that's something they have in common with cult survivors, by the way, and a lot of trauma survivors, especially domestic violence or, you know, course of control dynamic for want of a better way of putting it maybe is they go, well, you know, because I've done spiritual coaching work with people who have gotten out of cults, mm-hmm. you know, and we just did a podcast episode about that with Abigail. She's very brave. She, I'm not speaking out of school. She has a substack called My Post-Cult Life. So cat was out of the bag on that one. Yeah. But the practice of, is this my intuition or am I tricking myself into thinking it's my intuition or is this something from the programming Yeah, from society? Is it this? Is it that? Is it, you know, Finding home again, finding that intuitive North Star is a long process. And in that way, it it just struck me as something that people who have issues, even just like going on a diet, let's say they walk into a Weight Watchers or something, you know, and they're given this program. There is sort of a culty thing and it organizes, there's an organizing principle. It feels very finite. Mm -hmm. And so when that's not there anymore, it didn't work. Like, what do you do? Right. 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 How do you read? How do you trust yourself again? Right. Right. And yeah, and there's usually like a community component to it. You're right. There's a lot of things that go along with why, you know, it Mm -hmm. kind of draws people in. And, you know, again, it it really oftentimes puts people on these kind of prescribed plans that may or may not meet their meet their body's needs, may not may or may not work for their bodies. And in fact, you know, a lot of the times are, are, are likely to not. By the way, speaking of that quick sidebar, there's an accountability coach. I learned about her because she was on a very famous reality show. And she has the story of being incredibly overweight growing up, a really compulsive eater, emotional eater, showed photos of it, and has now become what she's calling an accountability coach, which you'll notice is not a nutritionist <laughs> or a doctor or a therapist or a social worker. None of those things. Yeah. Doesn't have any of those acronyms. And I found out because I looked into her program because this is my intuition working where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. And I looked into it. It's something like 500 calories a day. Yeah. So really what they're signing up for is someone on her team texts you in the morning and is like, you better not eat. Yeah. You know, and it's this whole white knuckling and wild thing. And it's really designed for working kind of mothers. And it's like, I don't care. No excuses. This sort of, um, what's his name? And I do like him. I don't think he's the problem. David Goggins thing. But oh, yeah, done yeah. in this kind, because, you know, he's no one, he's not making anybody do that. Yeah, like, and he's, he's he doesn't, style. he's got a certain style. And he also doesn't coach. Like he doesn't make money doing that. He just writes books and he's like, I'm going to go run an ultra marathon now and my toenails are going to fall off for the 30th time. But this individual it struck me as number one, you cannot live on 500 calories a day. Mm-hmm. I am not an expert. And I know mm-hmm. that that's madness. Yeah. You're going to harm organs. You're going to put your body into a weird starvation mode where it's hanging on to calories and all, you know, all this shit. And also women have like a lot of our weight loss, body image stuff is tied up in hormones. Hormones. Yes. Yes. A great way to screw that everybody listening is to starve yourself yeah this is again you're fighting yourself creating this dynamic and it i was so glad like several months after i looked and i was like well there's something in milk ain't clean there was like a big scandal Mm because she wasn't refunding people Mm -hmm. and so they were sharing about the program i was like here we go someone's gonna spill the tea and thank god and people i think when they're 
perusing their options in the marketplace on social media or elsewhere. And they look at someone like that. They go, well, that's a famous person. If something bad was going on, yeah. I would have heard about it. It's like, no, you wouldn't have. Trust me. You would not have. And there's right. this, have you seen that with maybe like what we would call influencers or celebrity endorsements where everyone's like, well, they wouldn't sign on if it was bad. And it's like, go look at what happened to Sam Bakeman Freed because he had Matt Damon and Tom Brady and that went tits up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just far too trusting of everything that we see as being, you know, kind of factual. And, you know, even when you look at um, just the, the, the capacity that we have to like, enhance or digitize or present a certain, you know, image or reality. I mean, that's what I think has gotten really, really scary. And quite frankly, what is like, you know, I mean, there's so much debate, particularly in photography right now with AI. And I'm like, I just think the more we're stepping away, and that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But like, I think that, you know, the more we're just stepping away from being able to kind of discern like well what is real and human and truthful it's just such a slippery slope and i think it just leads people down so many paths that end up being problematic for them you know you know it's funny you said that too because the one thing ai can't do in my opinion is beauty right it can replicate it can execute it can copy and duplicate it can't elevate yeah yeah there's something inherently human in the creation of something beautiful, even if it's imperfect. Sure, sure, like, sure. Yeah. The eye knows it and it does something to you energetically, right? right. And, and I think we, I wonder if we're all actually like more truly resonating with the imperfections as being more beautiful, right? I, I would much rather be around interesting looking people than perfect looking people. Right. I, but I've always had that bias. And what's weird is I always thought everybody had it. Right, right. So imagine my surprise when everyone's like, no, that. I'm like, yeah. That's interesting. That's where it does get hard kind of circling back to like, how do you discern or how do you practice intuition? Because really, you know, we all have had a certain level of kind of cultural brainwashing. Even unfortunately, I think people that really, I think, you know, in a lot of ways should have a far more advanced capacity to understand what's really going on. You know, you talk about maybe an influencer who is selling some program and ultimately they're putting people on 500 calorie a day diets. Yes, absolutely. From a medical hormonal, you know, metabolic standpoint that is designed to not only fail, but really set people up to have longer term complications that no one's really talking about. But, you know, when we even can kind of look at doctors who, you know, have their own sort of like fat bias, weight bias, health biases, where, you know, they're just kind of blanket statement, making recommendations for people to lose weight or go on extreme diets or putting people on extreme diets or giving people, you know, medications or injectables without really understanding the long-term ramifications of using medication off-label for something, yeah, that it's not designed to be used for. Do we have enough data? And so, you know, you really will hear, and I've certainly heard these doctors who are very well educated, very well respected, you know, who are kind of out there really kind of selling you on this idea that what they know is true and applicable to someone's health. And I'm sitting back here going, I, I, I wish we could kind of look at that a little more critically because most people I think would say, but my doctor told me this was safe. My doctor told me this was okay. 
you know, I had an experience last year, you know, and I'm not bashing my doctor. I've been with her for a long time, but you know, I am solidly in middle age with my body going through all of its own changes and things. And I've been pretty open, you know, and like little things here and there on social media about how that's changed. My body's changed. You know, my body, our bodies are designed to change. Like we're, we're not going to be able to be in a steady state forever. And, you know, I coming through the pandemic and different stress and different hormonal shifts and things I had. Gained. Oh, my hormones and my adrenals were absolutely decimated yeah. by the last three years. Yeah, we, yeah, and, yeah. And I didn't want to acknowledge that. Yeah. That's my thing where it's just yeah. sort of like toughen up. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. It could be in Yemen right now. Right. Right. But your, your adrenal glands don't care where you're right. geographically, politically situated or sure. even financially situated. Right. None of the above matters. And Absolutely. Yeah. I was blown out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a, a lot of women are relating to like, you know, the last couple of years have been really rough in addition to like everything that's just happened you know, on more of a kind of global scale, everybody's living their own lives with their own specific to them challenges of whatever that looks like. So it's been a lot. And, you know, I was at my doctor's for a checkup, you know, we didn't talk about my stress, we didn't talk about my health habits, there's, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. And at the tail end of this super quick visit, you know, I was walking out the door and she happened to mention that my weight was up as she was walking out the door brought up the issue of my weight. And then made a comment about, you know, just go on Weight Watchers or something for, just do a diet for a couple months and then you can just stop. You'll be fine. And I've walked away from that experience having done this work for so many years, having done my own work on these issues with enough capacity to be able to say, thank you for your concern, but I won't be joining Weight Watchers this week and I'm not going to put myself on an extreme diet. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you didn't ask me one lifestyle question right, on a single, right? right, right like, right. not what has your diet changed, what's going on, or even like right. just looking at it being like, oh, okay, are you in perimenopause, menopause? Right. right. You know, in my case, just going off the pill. Yes. Yes. Is a whole adventure. Yes. Absolutely. And so, you know, but what I think is really unfortunate is that most women would not have had the background of having been in therapy mm -hmm. or doing therapy with people who come up against these issues and really understanding this issue and instead would walk away and say, I need to lose this weight and then mm -hmm. would find themselves caught up in that vicious cycle. Well, what you're suggesting is a conspiracy theory and it's called doing your own research. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do, Gina, just so you know, is believe the science Right. And your doctor and not ask questions or get educated or empowered is right, right, sort right. of like, I just wanted to give you that quick note. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Our, our sponsor, the Totem Tarot Deck insists on it or they'll pull their ads. Yeah. I mean, it's, we live in a wild time. And what's funny is I've always joked that I'd rather go to the vet than go to the doctor because I always just liked veterinarians. I just thought they were cool people, but actually it's kind of, there's a little bit of truth in there, not maligning the medical profession, but doctors, the insurance industry is just choking to death. They can't yeah. spend time with you. They can't ask you questions. They're really hamstrung and actually giving health advice. Right. Like, so when I was in Chicago in that area, you know, I uh, had a space in Oak Park. Right. And I met a man in my building and his name's Dr. Paul. He's not in that building anymore. 
but the green medical practice was the name mm-hmm. of his functional medicine practice. Yeah. And he wouldn't take insurance. Right. Right. And I remember being like, why? And he goes, because you can't practice medicine. Right. You can't ask people. And his whole thing was, are you taking vitamins? What's your diet like? Are you meditating? Not just physically exercising, right? right. The awareness of hormones and adrenal fatigue and all right. of these other intersecting systems. Sure. And he was an odd man out and he yeah. knew it and he felt it, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, you know, I mean, functional medicine is really interesting. And, you know, I've worked with functional medicine doctor and we really think that there are some, you know, really amazing, reputable functional medicine doctors who are out there doing good things to get underneath what maybe people's more traditional primary care doctors are not helping them resolve. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, but you have to be careful because not every functional medicine doctor is going to have your best interest in mind or just might be wanting to upsell you on a million different things that you don't need. You know, and you've got to look out for that too. But yeah, there's, there is a lot out there. And I think that, you know, here's where the myth of whatever it is that you're buying comes in, right? It's sort of like, you know, I think we all kind of have this like low level or, or, or downright clinical, like humming level of anxiety that we're walking into all of our days. And so, you know, the myth of all of this is, well, if I can solve the problem of my weight, if I can solve the problem of my body, if I can solve the problem of my, you know, business looking a certain way, or if I can solve the problem of my life, not looking like it does for everybody else on social media, then I'm guaranteed to be happy. Like that's what all the messaging is of everything that we're being sold, right? It's like, we're sort of being sold this image of, you know, happiness and expectation and perfectionism. And it really is pretty insidious how it kind of keeps us from, you know, really pursuing what's ultimately at the heart of our anxieties or the problems or the challenges in our life, as opposed to just kind of being in pursuit of the fix elsewhere, right? And I think, unfortunately, that's a lot of the messaging of diet culture and yeah, anything that's sort of designed to get us, you know, thinking about our body in this overly perfectionistic way is, you know, we've all kind of come up and 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 learned to believe that our lives would just be better if we had the perfect body, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing holding you back. That's the roadblock. That's yeah. why you can't yeah. get these other things. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And what's interesting doing what I do is I sell something that can't really be measured. Mm-hmm. quantitatively, I would say, at least not re- reasonably. I'm sure people have tried. And also that has nothing to do with the exterior appearance of you or your life. Right, right. It's a weird hard sell because it's yeah. like, you know, you're not going to look sexier. You're not going to have more money necessarily. Like all these things they don't. So why do it? And it's like, well, do you, are you hearing yourself? There's a a foundational lack of regard for self and right. society. It, it's again, one of those, the yin and the yang are in the extremes and there's nothing in the middle of yeah. everyone's either a goddamn narcissist yeah, or the slightest bit of self-care that isn't utilitarian, that isn't yeah. functional in some measurable way yeah. is seen as really indulgent or unnecessary. Right. There's nothing in the middle. Right. Right. I think particularly for women, I think that clearly impacts women in our culture for sure. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where we kind of get into how do you sort of integrate somewhere? I, you know, I love thinking about things in more of a balanced middle path, middle yeah. of the road type of way. And when you're doing that in an honest way, particularly, you know, when it comes to something like body image, it really is an opportunity to say, the goal isn't for me to walk around thinking every day I'm knocking it out of the park with my banging hot body and feeling amazing and all eyes are on me and I'm so happy, right? But it's more just like acknowledging, you know, where is that space that I can be in a place of finding things about myself that I can respect or elevate or be proud of or appreciate or be grateful for? And then where are the, where are the elements of my body or my body image or even my life where I have to kind of come to what we, you know, what we say in, in DBT is this, you know, that it's a skill that we call radical acceptance, right? Like how do you radically accept Mm -hmm. this is my height? This is the size of my whatever, right? It's funny. I was talking about this with my friend Colleen who does Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her whole thing is like, this is your dosha or you're a six foot tall to, inch tall woman yeah yeah you're not going to be kim kardashian right she's barely five feet like there's just foundational differences here well kim kardashian isn't even kim kardashian she's the most photoshopped human being don't get joe rogan started i don't know if you're familiar with his rant about having seen her without photoshop and he wasn't body shaming but he's an athlete right he's like there's no way that's healthy right well that's not good for you just looking at like how like you know it's interesting to me when you look at body trends, right? This idea mm-hmm. of body trends, which actually go back, you know, historically. I've had a big butt since the jump, by the way. Right, right, right. But I think, you know, we, we actually, historically speaking, body trends go back, you know, farther than we think. Oh, yeah. But in, even in terms of like the way that we look at, you know, okay, that, the, you know, you talked about the 90s and, you know, like the the kind of wayfish models of the 90s. Heroin chic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Heroin chic. And then, you know, kind of looking at how things have gone, you know, in the last couple of decades. But even, you know, when you look at one particular person whose body has changed so dramatically in response to whatever the trends are, again, you can kind of step back and say, well, wait a minute, you know, like, let me think critically about that. Also, what and- are they selling? Do they have a profit motive? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, she's, she's a billionaire. I don't oh, know if you're aware no, I know. I know. And so here's where, here's where I think too, you know, some of where I steer people is to try to figure out, like, it's almost like step one is asking yourself, like, where did I learn this? Who taught me? Oh, that- it's like the beginning stages of a spiritual awakening, by right? the way. It's exactly okay. what you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah. Like, like, where did this idea come from? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it comes from this curious place of like, who taught me this? Who taught me that my butt is too big or my boobs are too small or my belly is too big? Where did and I- what were their motives? Were they right? telling me the truth? Probably yes. not. And how far back does that go? Yeah. Right. And so starting with that sense of curiosity and like kind of looking at it critically, mm-hmm. but then also kind of looking at it like, do I really and truly even agree with that? Right. Now you're definitely going to find girls and women in our culture that will say, yes, I agree with and align with everything that I'm being sold from this cultural messaging perspective. But what's interesting, even about them, is I think if even you spend enough time trying to break that down, 
when you look at where do these expectations or this perfectionism or these messages or these shoulds or whatever it is we're trying to live into, where does it really align with our values is kind of where the rubber hits the road for people, right? Mm -hmm. So like I could take someone who is the most entrenched in their body image issues and their eating disorder behaviors and ask them, you know, at the end of the day, when you think about your life and your relationships and what really matters to you the most at the core of peeling back all those layers yeah. of that onion, is it your body in the way that you look? And the question most often, if not all the time, is, well, actually, no. Right? Right. So when we try to tap into these things, these kind of like long lost, forgotten concepts like mindfulness, intuition, even like looking at things from a values perspective, yeah. right? Is this really, really what's important to me in my life? You know, I don't know. I've never in doing over 20 years of this work, I've never met anyone who's like, you know what? At the end of my life, I want everyone standing around talking about how perfect my body was and how hot I was. So ridiculous. But I looked, right? And so yeah. as kind of Somber as it sounds, sometimes I think it can be helpful for people to project far enough out to ask the question of how do I want to be remembered? What am I really here to do? And if you can't land on anything other than how you look, you should probably really think deeply about, you know, what resources you need to start to pull into your life to start to question that a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think kind of you know trying what blew to- this open for me was I was that? in, um, AP bio in high school, and they took us to the Chiropractic Institute in, uh, I think it's Downers Grove, by the mm-hmm. way, if I'm not mistaken. And I saw a dead body with breast implants. Uh, uh, not knocking anybody who has them at all, sure. but I will. Ne- and then another one, by the way, who had um, some kind of medical tubes put in at the kidneys, or I'm forgetting the technical term for this, but you see them for what they are, which are like, these are machines. And also that woman didn't take her boob job with her into the afterlife. <laughs> right, the boobs right. were here with us that day in, in Downers Grove. It was just, in you know, just getting this awareness of like, oh yeah, you die. You yeah. die. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's also because I was a weird Lydia from Beetlejuice, like goth kid all the time. Anyway, I was like, this is existentialist. AF when you see right. breast implants on a corpse, you know, the, the absurd, you know, um, the absurdities write themselves. But it, I think that reminder, it's yours is values. And I think that's crucial as a shaman. I'm just always like, you can't take any of this with you. Yeah. yeah. And in that way, it kind of makes you a bit of a kamikaze in life. Yeah. And it, when I look at some of the decisions I've made, it's crazy. That I was like, how did I not panic, worried about that? And it's like, because you always go back. That's a big North Star for me is one day I'm going to be dying or dead. Yeah. This is kind of it. And in that time, your body's changing because you're very slowly dying. You're dying a little bit every day. And also those spiritually live a little bit every day. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so much of what I I always fall back on, whether it's, you know, what I've written in the book or a lot of things is, you know, like, really, what are you here to do? Right. And mm-hmm. I think so much of the way it's set up with these expectations and perfectionistic, you know, mandates from culture is it really has us going through 
you know, our lives energetically at war with ourselves, right? And when you think about just the energetic imprint on that, or like what that does for us, it's like Mm -hmm. what we're fighting against our bodies, we're fighting against our hunger, we're fighting against the way that we want to do things, but we're being told we're supposed to do it this way or whatever. And so we're constantly, you know, fighting within something, you know, with ourselves. And I I think just, you know, when you talk about, you know, you know, our our time here is finite. It's like, how do you want to live? You know, how do do you want to go through your days? Not, you know, at peace with your body, at war with your body, fighting against yourself. And you yeah. want to feel good and you want to have energy. This yeah. is a machine that's meant to serve us. That's my view of it, yeah. right? Yeah. I know evolutionary biologists would yell at me for that, but that's really how I see it. And so it's like we take care of our cars. Yes. And we take care of stuff because we need it. Yeah. And we we don't, you know, I, I just the last year or so on a little bit of a hormone journey really had days where I felt absolutely like shit. Like yeah. sick, bad. And I wasn't sick with an illness or disease. But when you hit that and you realize like, oh, I can't do the things I had planned for myself today. Sure. And some of that's life. Some of that, you know, I absolutely brought on myself. Absolutely. Like using adrenaline or you rather converting hormones into adrenaline yeah. for who knows how long, yeah. by the way, doing sure. nothing but making withdrawals at the bank. Right. Eventually you got to make a deposit. Yeah. And so like, that's what motivates me. I kind of, though, I've realized I'm weird where I don't care how people see my body. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Maybe too, because I'm married and I'm old and no one gives a shit anyway. But also like, I, maybe the more people interact with or consider death, I think, and that sounds morbid, but it's not meant to be. The right. more you're like, oh, holy shit, I'm alive today. Let's just right. do this. Right. Yeah. Right. Instead of making it hard or like punishing or. Right. You should have had that green juice. It's like, shoulda, coulda, woulda. It was two eggs and a piece of toast. That's what it's going to be. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, tapping into anything where you can be grateful for what your body does or think of it yeah. in that way. I mean, the number of times people have sat in my office and I'm like, did you put gas in your car to drive here? Because if you did, then your brain can conceptualize of how, you know, things need fuel in order to run. So, you know, what does that look like in terms of the things that fuel us as we go through life? At the most basic level, yes, it's like sleep, it's food, it's movement, it's taking care of our physical bodies. But we also have like so many beautiful and interesting ways that we can nourish and fuel ourselves through so many other deeper things, right? Whether that's exploring different spiritual practices and beliefs or, you know, doing things creatively or different hobbies or through different relationships, right? Like there's just so many things that ultimately can give us energy and fuel and make our existence just really be the best that it can be given that we are human. We are going to have flaws. We are going to come up against challenges and roadblocks. And so again, it's kind of that middle path, right? It's like, what can I be grateful for? What can I be you know, really proud of? What can I be excited about? What can I radically accept? But at the same time, know that, you know, if I'm, you know, really here to do it right, in my opinion, I'm always asking those questions of like, where can I grow? How can I push myself? How can I keep really living life to the full, maybe even a little bit on the edge because it's going pretty damn fast. I don't want to miss it. Right. What would be cool if that's kind of my thing? Yeah. And it's funny, around uh, holiday 
season, my husband and I don't like to give each other like normal gifts because we don't have kids. So it's like whatever we need, we just for ourselves. Yeah, we're actually- one of those couples where it's, but you know, I said to him because he's like, "Well, what do you want?" I go, "I need you to research Aikido studios." Okay, in Austin. Do you know what Aikido is? I've heard of that, but I don't know what it is. It's, it's like-, like old man slow karate from Japan. It's like karate. Yeah. yeah, and it's not about. Trust me, you're not going to get shredded doing Aikido. You wear a full gi, and there's fake swords, and there's like it's. And I said, and I want a studio that is just nothing but like sixty to eighty year old men. Yeah, because yeah. I just want to be around that energy. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what this is going to be, and all it is is. Wouldn't it be cool if, yeah, like that exercise of just something yeah. you don't even know why you're into it or talking right. conceptually or not, and going on that little scavenger hunt with yourself, and it puts you the big thing because I've since researched it after asking for it for Christmas is Aikido is about where is your point of key or chi in your body, okay. yeah, right? and I've I've recently gotten certified in feng shui, so it's synchronistic. I'm yeah. sure the call is a thing, but it's supposed to enhance your kinetic awareness of where your body is in space and time yeah yeah okay and i was like oh i'll probably start to cultivate a lot more gratitude for my body in that practice for sure for sure yeah 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 and i mean it's just one more way of being like really connected and embodied right i mean it's not about it's not bash theory you're not gonna have some guy in your face screaming at you there's not loud music it's not those and those like if there's an 80 year old guy there they're not there to like burn calories right she's right. there to fight samurai that don't exist on the part like there's something yeah. else going on yeah and i i think like anything i mean you know even just like in looking at like what's like one thing someone could do at the start of the new year to you know really turn over um you know a new page in their relationship to their body i mean i'm i i can i am so grateful that my body can move right and in the ways that it does. And I've really learned to cultivate that gratitude over all the years that I've, you know, been a woman in our culture and gone through my own journey and experienced, you know, things in the work that I do. And, you know, I think that having some type of movement practice that really resonates with you, it feels good in your body is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves. Right. And so I think when we get so hung up in our exercise or movement being punitive in some way, or in some way feeding into a narrative that we're not good enough yet, or we have to push ourselves, or again, we're at war with ourselves. It's, you know, it's, it's just, I think there's another way to do it that our culture doesn't talk about. And when you're moving and breathing and flowing in your body, if it feels good, you're going to keep doing it. If it doesn't feel good, you're going to stop. And our bodies need us to move. Our, 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 our brains and our minds and our spirits need us to move. So I think that's a really beautiful illustration of like, this is something that I think sounds so amazing and I want to try it and I want to see how it feels and I want to see the benefits that I can glean from doing this, even though it's like, the last thing that you would expect someone to say like, Hey, it's the new year and this is going to be my new workout. Right. Yeah. Um, um, there will be no Instagram documenting the change in my body. Cause yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And no one else cares. Yeah. And it's, if that's the most interesting thing about you. Right. right. I don't know that that's great. You know right. what I mean? Maybe like, we go, a little, I'll probably learn something badass about Shinto in yeah. Aikido or, yeah. You know, I'm sure, you know, I have a friend who does Qigong 
which is yeah. a form of like Kung Fu or these yes. Tai Chi, these various movements, yeah. they're really spiritual practices. They're, they're moving energy in your body to maximize your health. It's the same basic foundation on which acupressure, acupuncture, cupping, all these things, you know, and yeah, oh, yeah it just sounds nice. Also, I want to wear a gi. Yeah. Now that I just want to live in that now. That I do think you should post a picture of on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I'll look like, you know, can you imagine like that 10 year old photo of you in your first karate outfit, right. getting your white belt? Yeah, that energy. Totally. I, that's how I look at a bike helmet, too, by the way. I look like a someone's child this long or something. So I've learned you can't post pictures of me at a bicycle helmet. And my, one of my exes called me Marvin the Martian for years after seeing me in a bike helmet. It's fantastic. But see, here's where, like, here's where I could just talk all day long about, like, let's, like, post the real stuff, you know? Yeah. Let's, like, post the real funny, awkward, human, like, relatable stuff. Like, who who likes how they look on a bike helmet? What woman does feel like she's rocking it in a bike helmet, right? (laughs) So, like, let's just post it and just be, like, just me in a bike helmet, right? I just think... I, I just, and, and that's where I do feel like I love photography. I love the art of photography, but man, do I wish that as photographers, we could just like agree that having representation of a real human yeah. is like so beautiful and so worth documenting and so worth sharing in such an art form, right? It uh, is an art form. Yeah, it is. And I think we're craving it more than ever. I you know. Even if you look at our famous actors and actresses, everybody's perfect. And I, yeah. I miss the days of like Gary Oldman yeah. being the leading yes. man in a movie because he's yeah. not perfect looking. Yeah. yeah. He's interesting to look at though. Yeah. And, and trying to cultivate more of that and find out the things in you, maybe, maybe that's Mm-hmm. How we leave it is is what what do you think is beautiful about you? And I know that sounds cheesy, but you must have something that you're not totally loathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I love asking those questions. You know, like what is and and I do this with clients all the time. Like, you know, whether it's about who they are and their spirit as a person, or I think it can be about the physical because yeah. we're not going to get away from our culture being focused on the physical, right? So we all do have to have strategies to go through this world. If I can say, you know, I really love the color of my eyes, or I really am excited about, you know, my hair, or, you know, this is something I, when I wear this, I feel this, you know, I talk a lot in the book about like, it's not about walking away from all of it. You know, like if you feel amazing when you wear red lipstick, do it. If you love to embrace quirky elements of, you know, your fashion aesthetic, do it. You know, we don't have to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? If you go to the gym and you lift weights and you feel strong and you feel capable and you are Mm -hmm. constantly like, you know, like leveling up and eliminating the ceiling of what you thought you could do. And that is empowering for you. Go do it. Like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but let's also, I think, just completely step away from this idea of everything needing to be, you know, perfect all the time in this kind of way that we're all exposed to it in this media saturation and, 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 and what we have to radically accept about ourselves. 
right? It's funny, you know, as you're saying that, because I, I pulled a card from the deck and it's it's too weird. It's the 10 of trees. Uh-huh. And all that this is, is laying down burdens greater than you can carry. Yeah. The engines of creation using your engine metaphor, grinding mm-hmm. to a halt because no one's put any fuel in. Yeah. And so it's funny. It's less of a to do and more of a to don't. Yeah. Just stop. Just put it all down. Yeah. It's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and even I'm not nuts about physical fitness, but even for me, if I go a day like I did recently where I didn't feel well at all, I had a digestive bug. It was not pleasant and was in my head by about two or 3 PM about how you didn't move at all today. You didn't walk the dog. Yeah. And I was like, shit, like I'm sick. You know what I mean? But it's still, it's like, we don't need that. Some days let it fall. If you don't get to it today, it's okay. Oh, absolutely. What can you let go of, right? What can you let go of? What can you put down for a minute? You know, I mean, for me, it's always interesting this time of year because it's so dark. It's so cold, right? Like everything. By the way, I remember those days. It's blasting sunlight. It's 80 degrees. I know. I can only speak to being. We're never going back, Gene. Yes. Yes. Never. I don't, you know, but you know, when you look at things seasonally, you know, they're, they're in, you know, it's like, there's, there's a time for there to be moments where we're not productive. We're not yeah. growing, we're not producing. Right. And I, I think that's ultimately, you know, a more realistic first of all, but probably ultimately a healthier way for all of us to think about our energies and our lives and our expectations mm. of ourselves. And as women, we have seasons. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to deal with it. I don't like it either, but yeah. here we are. And and the the idea that you're not suddenly worthless mm-hmm. just because. Yeah. You know, I, I do think a lot of body stuff with women is, is linked up with is am I worthless to society? Yeah. Now? Yeah. And it's like, no, of course not. Don't be ridiculous, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a cool card. Gina, why don't you tell everybody where they can find Body Beautiful, where they can find you, how you work with people too, because yes. you do have a practice doing client yeah. work. So, you know, what's interesting about that card pull that you did is I am coming out of a little bit of a season of putting some things down, reevaluating all of those things. So probably at the start of the year, I'll be thinking a little bit more intently about what it's going to look like. I am leaning towards doing more virtual sessions, actually. I kind of stepped away from that after the pandemic, but um, there is a possibility that I'll be opening up some more virtual sessions. So, you know, typically what I'll do is, um, you know, just weekly or, you know, at a frequency that works. It's just individual therapy, if it's therapy or just, you know, some way of checking in and doing some body image work. So that is something that I offer. The book is available you know, on most of the typical platforms where books are sold, you know, you can always hit up my website at lifelensandlove.com and it's going to have all the information there about the work that I do and the book. It's also on Facebook and Instagram at Life Lens and Love. And people can just reach out to me at any time about questions about what I do or what's going on. And I'm happy to. And by to- the way, she is certified and educated to talk to you about these things, unlike 99% of what you see on Instagram. I do have a license. Yes, I do have a license that I have to actively work to keep in regulation. Yes, that is. It's not from Herbalife. It's a a real one. And there is a difference. It's not. And I don't, I don't get any, yes. Like, yeah. I just like, I really, when it comes to mental health, I'm, I'm unusually rigid about it because as a young child and throughout my whole life, I've gotten incredible therapy. 
like yeah. cognitive behavioral therapies because yeah, yeah. I was full-blown OCD. Yeah. Freudian yeah. psychotherapy when I was a little older. And yeah. none of these people were like unlicensed life coaches. Right. And right. there's a reason for that because what they're doing sure. is kind of hardcore. So I just, I like to put it out there. Also, don't get hypnotized by someone you met at like RenFest. Right, right, right. So, well, what, I, what I do think, I mean, in talking about like women our age or different seasons, you know, I mean, that is a big part. I think life coaching is an interesting space because in a lot of ways, you know, working with someone who is licensed, you know, even if that is something that you're looking for, the benefits of that is that they can advise you about whether or not you're crossing over into some, you know, maybe um, disordered, dysregulated mood. And I just yes. think we're, we're kind of more, you know, kind of inclined to sort of keep up with a lot of the science and the trainings and different tools that I think, you know, ultimately can help people no matter what those yeah. challenges are. So it doesn't necessarily have to be intense therapy or eating disorder recovery um, yeah. you know, Hey, are you not feeling so good? Reach out and let's see where you need to land. Right. One thing I've noticed that every therapist I've ever worked with or any good therapist I've ever heard about from anyone in my space, which, you know, what I do, I talk to a lot of people. It comes up a lot is they're incredible with boundaries. It's a big part of the training. Yeah. For sure. What is my scope of services? What is not, what is appropriate? What is not? And I think we have to get back to that. I yes. think everyone's being a little over familiar in yes. areas where they're not expert. And so yeah. Yeah. I just want to give you your bona fides. I hope you don't mind. But. Well, thank you. No, yeah. and also like, you know, I don't have like staff, <laughs> don't have like people. Right. So, you also know, a very good sign. Side note. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you reach out through social media or through my website to the contact page, you know, it is going to be me that will ultimately be patient. eventually yes. respond. And, you know, I really do take it upon myself to make sure that I respond. If anybody reaches out with any questions, I'm happy to, you know, at least point you in some direction so yeah and the book is crazy inspiring Thank and it's you. not trite you know shallow virtue signaling inspiring it's it's Thank what you. real beauty is where there's humanity and there's depth and as you go through those human scaled stories that are real Thank I you. think it's it's really inspiring so thank you yes yeah thank you for that I appreciate it thanks so much for having me